Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by the return of our top 11 villains tournament. Round two. Round two will feature superhero villains. Maybe, possibly, my personal favorite as I am a big comic book buff and even uh, published a graphic novel back in the day. I was a comic book writer back in the day. So this is definitely a genre of film that is very near and dear to my heart. I have a ton of graphic novels, guys, sitting in uh, in boxes, many boxes in my storage, tons of comic books. I've been reading Spider-Man since I was a little kid. Anyways, Raven, before we get started, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can always like us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at The underscore Goldcast, and be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same glorious moniker of The Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we certainly want to get your take on your, what you deem to be the top 11 greatest superhero villains of all time. And Raymond, let me add to that a big announcement for the Goldcast. We are officially uh, live through Libsyn, which means the Goldcast is available every place on the planet where podcasts are available you can go on spotify which is where i've wanted us to be forever we are so if you have a spotify account you can type in the goldcast and boom we are right there so you can add us to your list we are literally everywhere google play google podcast i mean if we are if it is a podcasting source we're on it. Um, um, so it's this is a pretty big, exciting moment for us. I've wanted to be on Spotify for a long time. And uh, Lips, by joining the Lipson uh, Podcast Distribution Network, we are now everywhere. So that kind of got us right in over there to Spotify. Spotify is kind of a bunch of weird hoops through them, but you go into Lipson and you're automatically in. So wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you listen to them on Spotify, you can add us because we're there now. Yeah. All right, and then Candlestick Will, where can they find us to talk specifically top 11 podcasts? Easiest way is Twitter, and just go to the, the um, account top 11 podcast. That's top 11 podcast, and reply to any of the tweets about the, that current podcast or just use that at to send us what you think. Awesome. Sweet. And uh, as we mentioned on the last episode to all the folks, we are messing around with video. Uh, I looks like we we had it. There was a little bit of issues that I thought we might have, which we talked about. But I will probably be releasing the video versions of these episodes on YouTube in about a week. I will be traveling to San Francisco, so I will not be around my video equipment. But just be on the lookout. We will. YouTube will get recaught back up, but we should be releasing videos next week. And I will announce, all of us will be announcing on Twitter when the videos are officially released. So you can see our beautiful, beautiful faces. You think we're handsome auditorily. Wait till you see us <laughs> visually. It is three lady killers. You are not even ready. Because <laughs> that's what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> that's what all the men that listen to the show are here for. That's why they're here. Hey. Hey, we, we, we definitely look better than a Richard Sherman, you know, uh, <laughs> knocking down a, a, a turkey, turkey leg, leg. Yeah. for that, an hour and a half. <laughs> that picture was insane. <laughs> that picture was crazy. Oh, to, to, be, to be fair, any picture looks insane an hour and a half in. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. All right. Here we go, guys. Uh, we are going to do the top 
11 superhero villains of all time. As I said, I this is a near and dear. Uh, I cannot wait. Uh, I have a co- I have a controversial honorable mention, which I already I hinted at towards the guys, but they don't know. They you know we reveal our lists live on the show. We never reveal them before. I think my number one honorable mention might be extremely controversial. So we will see. But here we go. All of your the Goldcast crew. We are all back live and direct for another top eleven podcast. But first, the greatest intro in the game. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis I, baby. And our esteemed co-host. Candlestick Will. (laughs) Boom! Love it. I'd love it too. It's so dramatic. It's very good. It's very, very well done. Very well done, Castic Will. Uh, here we go, guys. So, top eleven superhero villains of all time. And the thing I want to start with, I always like to turn it to you, Candlestick Will. And one of the the big question I had for you when we were putting together these lists was: Were we allowed to use multiple? performances right we were, were we going just by the character or were we going by the performance because we've now you know superheroes as a movie franchise as a, as a movie genre have pretty much been uh at the level that they've been for past 20 years and we've seen multiple magnetos we've seen multiple tons of jokers at this point um and so uh you know different Catwomans. and so i asked you were we allowed to go by multiple performance and let the people know what you said about that well, I I think it's a case by case basis. I would, for me, I t- I end up ha- I have a couple characters where I've got multiple performances on my list. I think ultimately, what this is all boiling down to is we're going to do essentially one big podcast for the top eleven villains. And so, if if we were to just say, for example, Joker as our you know one of our top eleven, and you, and you're saying you're encompassing all Jokers. Then, then that would be how you would rate your top eleven when we get to that category in, in three weeks. But if you want to break it up and be like, no, there was definitely some, you know, multiple performances that were impressive, and here's where I rank them. Then, then to me, then you do that. I think what's the beauty of this podcast and this format is it's completely subjective and it's completely biased and it's designed to be those two things. So if you think it's easier to just lump all the Godzillas together, then say Godzilla is your, you know, in this, in this level, if you want to put, you know, different jokers, then spread it out. And it should be based on what your rationale is. And that's what this show's about is whatever your rationale is, you get to share it and explain it. There you go. So there it is, people. That is how we did it. And, uh, I will give a hint. I also went by performance. So I, I do have multiple performances of several of our superhero villains on this list. All right, but Raymond, we always start off with you. Let's begin uh, with your 11 through 8 top 11 superhero villains of all time. You got it. And, you know, to just to clarify, I went between a mixture of just enjoying the villain and also enjoying the performance. So sometimes I might enjoy the villain more than the performance. So they're high on my list because I've been fond of that villain and now that and seeing the villain on the big screen in a feature-length film 
you know, was pretty um, exciting for me. So sometimes that overruled any one particular performance because there's tons of actors that have done tremendous performances of villains here that didn't make my list, but I do have them in honorable mention simply because I'm fond of those actors. So I'm actually, you know what, Raymond, to yes and you on that. I, you know, we, we've I've heard people complain about Marvel, for instance, and about not having always the greatest villains. When you really go through the list, there are some there are hella good actors that have played really good villains in in Marvel. Like I yeah. was like when I was I, I, I think was like part of the issue is that they're always one and done. Yeah, know? there's they, a lot of that. And so you don't get any a lasting impression like you do with some of the other Marvel franchises. Like mm-hmm. your Thanoses and your Magnetos and Magneto's whole crew. Magneto has a whole crew that travels with him. His whole other his group of X Men, which tend to get a lot of backseat attention in in the films, and I think they deserve a lot more because there's a bunch of cool villains, mutants that follow him that deserve a lot of more praise. But anyways, uh, let's get to it. So number eleven, I've got Mystique, played by Rebecca Romine in the mm. early X Men franchise. I've got The Penguin, played by Danny DeVito in Batman Returns. I've got Mr. Glass by Samuel L. Jackson in Unbreakable. This is an original superhero franchise. And at number eight, I've got Catwoman by Michelle Pfeiffer, also from Batman Returns in 1992. Nice. What about you, Rudy? I've got Doc Ock by Alfred Molina, Spider-Man 2. I've got Magneto, Michael Fassbender from the X-Men franchise. I have at number nine, Vulture, Michael Keaton from Spider-Man Homecoming. And number eight, I have Thanos, Josh Brolin from the Marvel franchise. What about you, Candlesticklow? So um, 11, I've got uh, both both Kingpin and Prowler from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. For, for number 10, I've got Loki from the Avengers movies. For number nine, I've got a tie with Catwoman and Penguin from Batman Returns. And at number eight, I've got Bane from Dark Knight Rises. Mm. Wow, these are very diverse. This is super diverse. This and is pretty good. Yeah. Like- All right, so go, go for it, Ray. Break it down. So Mystique, because Mystique is – I've always seen Mystique as traditionally a villain, and I thought that Rebecca, even though she had very few lines in the first film and her character really didn't get more fleshed out until she was portrayed as a good as – as a protagonist in the Jennifer Lawrence performance, I am still much more fond of Mystique in the Rebecca, although she was Rebecca Romaine Stamos back then. They've been divorced since then. But um, I just thought that the – it was all about it was more a physical performance than a verbal performance. Jennifer Lawrence had to put a lot of emotion into that character because they were fleshing out her exposition and her role within the team and the the conflict and the drama associated with her role as the series moved on with that version of Mystique, whereas the early X-Men series was just Mystique, the right hand to Magneto, um, who was just very you know very covert very sly you couldn't necessarily trust her she she had one of the best abilities to to be able to shape shift i thought that was by far the coolest ability is to shape shift you can get away with so much in real life if you had that kind of ability um for for penguin i picked danny devito because danny devito is a tremendous actor and when i looked at the batmans there's a lot of batmans i did not even bother to look at 
um, on, <laughs> per, on purpose. So, and, and if we don't have to go into that, we could spend a whole nother uh, podcast talking shit about that. But Danny DeVito, <laughs> I thought was fantastic in, in that film, especially in a follow-up on a, you know, a, a two-part series done by a director who really kind of, he, he was, he honored the source material, but he did definitely take some, some unique turns with the character arcs of some of these characters and it didn't always sit well with the fans, but the performances certainly outshined, you know, any kind of qualms I had or anybody else had a lot of the people I know with the, the characters exposition. And I thought Danny DeVito was amazing. I liked that he was kind of disfigured. I loved the facial expressions he made. His mouth was always kind of had some kind of black tar in it. And, and it, it was just a really fun role, a villain, especially in that one, because that was before superhero films were t- would take these horrible leaps and then have like three villains at once. And it just never worked when you have more than two villains. Two, to me, is the sweet spot. Three is really pushing it. Um, Mr. Glass, Samuel L. Jackson, I thought he was fantastic and breakable, especially considering that he was the surprise villain that you didn't know about the whole time. And that really gets fleshed out even a little bit more in 2019 class the uh the the second the, the third film in that trilogy i thought again this was a terrific performance by a very terrific actor who again the a lot of the exchange the, to, to me the most interesting parts are him trying to get information out of bruce willis who's like this very introverted you know um resist resistive person towards um Elijah in, in, throughout the film and to me the most interesting questions are him trying to him figuring out what what he's all about and trying to figure out like hey you're this unique person like all of those scenes with him are amazing um, and I, I really enjoy that he, it's a little bit less uh, there's less of that in glass if you haven't seen it but it's still a fun film to watch as it kind of really wraps everything up although I thought you know it was a little too brisk in, in, in my in my opinion but that's that's a film review. Catwoman, because Michelle Pfeiffer was my one of my favorite act- actresses next to um, Sharon Sharon Jones or no uh, Sharon Sharon is it Sharon Stone back in the day it was her and Michelle Pfeiffer that they, they were my two favorite actresses as a kid and I thought Catwoman I thought Catwoman kind of stole the show of of Batman Returns in my opinion she was amazing in every scene she had all the best lines she was kind of you didn't know if she was bad you know if she was good she kind of played both roles but to me she always kind of came off as a bit of a villain. And, I, and she was mostly a villain throughout that film, although kind of an anti-hero type of uh, vigilante. You know, she kind of some. It's it was like whenever whenever it suited her to be a villain, she was a villain, and when it suited her to be more of a good guy, then she would play that play that role. So very selfish, uh, very self-centered villain. And uh, but yeah, I thought that to me that the physical performance along with the the delivery of the lines really kind of outshone all the previous characters. Uh, and Danny DeVito, that was a hard one to wrestle with, but I thought that Samuel L. Jackson was, was so, so great. And he, he just edged Danny for me. And I thought Michelle stole the show of Batman uh, Returns, So it really wasn't too big of a debate for me as to who was the best villain in Batman Returns. <clears throat> All right. What about you, Rudy? Uh, real quick, just on Raymond. I, I think, uh, I think Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is the best Catwoman ever. Even yeah. even even though we had a couple good ones in the original TV show, um, I think uh, I think Catwoman is her Catwoman is like I mean she smokes Anne Hathaway even like with her eyes closed. That is like the yep. to me, the def- the definitive Catwoman. Okay, so uh, Doc Ock, 
I went with uh, Dr. Octopus. Spider-Man 2, arguably one of the greatest superhero sequels of all time. Uh, one of the best ones. I've never been the biggest fan of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man series. Um, I think he gets a lot of it really right. Um, there's also just kind of a campy quirkiness to to it that I was never a big fan of. Um, I, I prefer the Marvel's version of Spider-Man because it's far more definitive and far closer to the source material. But uh, but Alfred Molina's performance as Dr. Octopus was incredible. And he starts a trend on here uh, that you'll see a lot of all my favorite villains are always the villains who think they're the good guy in some form. And, and Dr. Octopus definitely had a little bit of that going on as well. From his perspective, he thought he was you know doing the right thing. Um, but there's definitely always my favorite villains are the ones who think they're the good guy. And I thought Alfred Molina's performance as Dr. Octopus, even now, uh, 16 years later, is just so, so good. Uh, Magneto, Magneto the character, is my favorite uh, Marvel villain ever. Uh, I love Magneto. Magneto as a character. Same. Again, yeah, going back to the idea, he believes he's a good guy. You're the bad guy. Magneto is the good guy. And right. that's humans are that, bad. Mutants humans are, are bad. Mutants are good. <laughs> Yeah, and I've always found him so fascinating as a character. Michael Fassbender's version of Magneto uh, is definitely, I feel, a, more evil than Ian McClellan's version of him. He plays him, I think he's a lot more, he's he definitely a lot more sinister um, with Michael Fassbender's version of Magneto. But I really, really love uh, his performance as Magneto. It's like, I enjoy a more evil version, even though I kind of prefer, I prefer a version that thinks he's always doing the right thing. And I think that's where really where Ian McClellan comes from. But, uh, but who doesn't love a good evil Magneto? That's, that's also really fun. Uh, Michael Keaton's vulture. It was so dope to grow up. I still think that Michael Keaton is the definitive Batman for me. I think he's the best Bruce Wayne. I think he's the best Batman. I like him more than Christian Bale. I like him more than Adam West. And I, those, those, those three are, that's definitely my Mount Rushmore. But so when he is the vulture, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, another guy who thinks he's doing the right thing and is trying to provide for his family. And he brings such a humanity to what I thought was a really, really well done uh, modern version. I was like, how are they going to do the vulture? You know, vulture kind of had a campy costume. And, you know, it just like I was like, I just wasn't really sure. I, I trust Marvel. Marvel knows what they're doing. Um, but Michael Keaton he comes in and just throws nothing but home runs. And again, from his perspective, he, even though he's become twisted, he does think he's doing the right thing just based on the world he lives in. And then Thanos, Josh Brolin, the Marvel franchise, uh, same thing again. He brought such a humanity to him. He was the most interesting character in the, in the uh, Avengers Endgame. He was so, or Infinity War, he was so interesting because he really thought he was doing the universe a favor by murdering half of it, by taking it upon himself to murder half the universe uh, in an effort to uh, to uh, cleanse it of whatever, you know, of, of, its, of its natural issues. And he just brings such a gravitas to that character. And it's kind of funny to think that, you know, his physically he's all CGI, but the 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 special effects we have now, I mean, his entire performance is captured despite it not being his real face. It's all CGI'd over. You can see, you can see Josh Brolin's face. His you can yeah. see some of his facial 
is his facial it, structure in Thanos. <laughs> it clearly looks like him. Yeah. Clearly looks like him. And uh, but uh, I thought his performance as as Thanos was so good. And again, my favorite villains are the guys that think they're the good guys. Like I I loved writing those guys when I wrote comic books. I love reading those guys, and I like seeing them performed on on uh, in film. I love seeing villains that believe they're the good guy, and the superheroes are the villains. They're that's just the best. This is the most interesting version of it. But uh, how about you, Kendall Sickwell? What Explain your guys. So I started with uh, Kingpin and Prowler from Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, um, mostly because I just absolutely love Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I think it's one of the best films I've seen in the last, I don't know, you pick the number of years. It just, the more I watch it, the more I love it. Um, Prowler is more interesting to me. Um, they certainly give him a more uh, personal backstory connected with um, Miles Morales. But um, but I just wanted to, to be honest um, and perfect honest, I just wanted to sh- shout out that movie is in, in some way on on this episode and just ended up deciding that to just put him on the list instead of honorable mention. Um, for number 10, I have Loki from Avengers. It's one of the advantages in this list where when you have characters who've been in multiple films, you get to get more exposition. You get to get more of their personality and their character. Um, Tom Hiddleston's incredible as Loki. You, he, you want to root for him, then you hate him, then you want to root for him again. And when you have a character that can do that, it's, it's a gift as an actor to be able to bring people along kind of no matter what. Um, and when you know, you shouldn't believe a character and you trust them anyway, that's when you really got the, the, um, the audience hooked. And I think Loki's a, a great example of a character that was able to do that. Um, I did put uh, Catwoman and Penguin in the same, on the same uh, n- uh, number on this list. Uh, Batman Returns, very underrated film. Um, and both of them were really tremendous. Ray did a great job of explaining it. Um, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman was, you know, all of the above you want from a from a um, from a villain, you know you you didn't you didn't trust her, but then you 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 wanted to you, you wanted to trust her, but then you absolutely hated her, and it was like all the all the different things that you get from a from a good villain that's got some depth instead of just um, the one dimensional villains that we have in some of our superhero films. Um, and then for number eight, I have Bane. Um, it's one of the most impressive opening sequences of a villain. Um, that, that entire scene with the plane and just not, I mean, if you, I don't have the comic book history that you guys do. So in a lot of ways, when I'm meeting a a villain in a, in a superhero film, it's the first time I've heard of that villain, unless it's something like Doc Ock where I've seen Spider-Man two, and then I've seen Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse. So it's the same, you know, it's the same name as the character they had before. Um, and, uh, and so now I know it's a, another version, you know, similar to, to all the jokers we've had. And so, you know, not knowing any backstory of Bane, it's like, all right, who's this guy? All right, this is interesting. And he was intimidating and scary and evil and interesting. And, um, and you were just impressed by his villainy, um, from three seconds in, like he immediately had you hooked, um, by the end of that, uh, plane scene, um, you were like, okay, this guy's absolutely going to be in charge in this film. Love that. And voice. I think, yeah. And I, and I think ultimate, and I think ultimately what, what puts you on a list like this and what makes a good film is when 
the antagonist is as interesting or even more interesting in some cases, and we'll definitely see some on these lists, where the villain is actually more interesting than the protagonist. And you almost are rooting for the for the villain. You you already you guys have both already mentioned Magneto. It's like there is it's easy to root for Magneto in any of the X-Men films that have come out. Um, it's not just because of Ian McCallum and Michael Fassbender being great actors, but just that character's arc in the first place, what the character's trying to do and how they are trying to be, they, how they, like you said, Rudy, they think they're doing the right thing. They think they're being good. And so in the, in, in that way, um, it's really impressive. I think when you have someone that can go toe to toe with the protagonist and, they're able to do it for multiple films. It certainly gives an advantage to a list like this because then you end up wanting to, um, to watch another film with that same actor in that same role. Um, so it, it leads to what we have now, which is so many sequels and so many prequels and all these different things that have come out um, in the last several years where it's like they know that fans are interested in more of the same um, because we want to see more versions of these characters and more depth and more exposition and all those kind of things. So um, that being said for, for number eight, um, you know, Bane and dark Knight rises is, is, is his one film, but he absolutely crushes it in that film. So he, he gets the number eight slot for me. So what about you, Ray? What do you got for seven through four? All right. So seven through four, a couple of these are going to sound familiar to you guys. At number seven, I've got Thanos by Josh Brolin, the Avengers trilogy. At number six, I've got Bane, played by Tom Hardy in Dark Knight Rises from 2012. At number five, this might be a surprise, I've got Split, James McAvoy from Split, 2006. And at number four, I've got Joker, Jack Nicholson, 1989 Batman. All right, Rudy, what about you? All right. Uh, this will, some of this will sound familiar to you guys. Uh, <laughs> at number seven... Eric Killmonger, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Black Panther. At number six, Joker, Jack Nicholson from Batman. At number five, I have a three-way tie. Uh, two, two actresses, one character. I have both uh, Rebecca Raman and Jennifer Lawrence for Mystique. Uh, badass performances, um, but I could not be... I was really torn... And so the the third person, the the second character on this list is General Zod, Terrence Stamp from the Superman franchise. Uh, And they uh, the the original. Wow. Oh, man. Neil before Zod. That's like my dude. (laughs) 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 And number four, I have Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's my four. Also, we didn't talk about this. Easily one of the best superhero costumes ever which one ever the, the catwoman's oh yes yeah that's Cat- the, the the full-on leather <laughs> it is probably easily the sexiest costume besides yeah. mystique who's basically naked <laughs> but, yeah uh, <laughs> but uh that costume that pfeiffer is wearing is the best ever it's so good it's so sexy and it's also kind of scary and cool and yeah it's like everything you want out of a superhero villain costume all right council Will, what about you so at number seven i've got thanos in avengers <laughs> uh at number six i've got a tie lex luther and general zod and superman ah uh, at number five i've got magneto 
from X-Men, Ian McKellen. And at number four, I've got Joker from Batman, Jack Nicholson. Two ties. You guys wow. have two ties. Hey, wait, remind me. I just want to know your order. Remind me 11 through 9 again, Candlestick Will. From, so Kingpin and Prowler from Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. Loki, Loki at 10 from Avengers. Uh, the tie at number 9 for Catwoman and Penguin from Batman Returns. And then Bane at number 8 for Dark Knight Rises. That's it. That's the... That was the yeah, list. so Raymond and I have been pretty aligned because we we both had Catwoman and Penguin in our in our bottom four too. Yeah, you guys are really almost almost identical on in certain parts. That's pretty good. Well, I, I think too. I mean, we we'll we'll explain um, a little bit more about our four through seven in a second. But we're picking what in essence is in a lot of ways the best movies. You know, I mean, so. When you when you start thinking about what are some of the best villains, a lot of these are coming from the best films that they've done because it's not like we're picking stuff from you know some of the kind of throwaway superhero you know uh, superhero movies. These are also the best films that have come out, and one of the main reasons they're the best films is because they have the best villains. So Ray, what's your uh, what break down your seven through four? So Thanos, for a lot of the reasons that Rudy already broke down, just that. You know, Thanos thinks that he's doing the universe a favor, I thought was the best way to put it. That was my favorite aspect of Thanos. Even though Thanos, but I wasn't necessarily rooting for Thanos the way I've rooted for other villains who are in this in this frame of mind. Just because you get a lot of exposition of who Thanos is before you get to those points. And he was a conqueror. You know, he was a pretty bad dude. And so, yeah, like you, I, I, it was already in my head, like, this guy's a bad guy. He just kind of goes to planets, conquers people. He's, he's pretty brutal. He, you know, he took on, he, he killed some girl's family and adopted her. That's, that's some twick, sick, twisted shit, if I've ever And then sacrificed it. her. And then yes, sacrificed and then her. sacrificed her later. So I didn't really have a whole lot of sympathy for Thanos. Um, there were times when the performance almost convinces you. But, you know, as, knowing what I knew of Thanos up to that point, I was pretty much rooting for the good guys to just beat him. I was, and, and just in awe of how powerful he is. It's actually really fun to have a discussion about, hey, if you had a Thanos, you know, who's your super team to put together um, to defeat a Thanos? Because he's that powerful. You need a super team to beat him. He, 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 there is no one that can really go one-on-one, toe-to-toe with him. Um, 2017 it, Warriors would be my pick. <laughs> Bane, Bane, I mentioned for a lot of the reasons that, that you already mentioned, uh, Candlestick Will. Um, that voice is just amazing. For them to put together Bane's character and flesh him out the way they did, even though that film was originally going to be a sequel to the Heath Ledger Joker, um, was just amazing. I thought like, whoa, it, it's, it's almost like you have no inkling of them, you know, doing any patchwork to, to fill in Bane's villain role. Yeah, he was supposed film. to be in that movie. He was right. supposed to be in it. Yeah. Right. And so it just becomes more more Bane and Razagul's daughter is really that takes center stage and a little bit of uh, a Two-Face. But um but to me, I thought the his presence in the film, like you were really like, I thought like, I don't know what Batman's going to do because this guy just smokes Batman without even thinking twice. Um, and that to me was, I had never seen that, uh, you know, I'd scream. I've seen Batman lose and get beat up before and lose fights, but never by the pure dominance that Bane 
Bane just kind of bestowed on him. It was just like, boom, broke his back and he was out. And I was just like, damn, this guy is crazy good. You know, his training's way better. His strength is way better. You know, he, and it, the, and just to have that deep menacing voice, it's so it's so funny because we always play memes to that voice because it's so awesome. Like you can apply it to anything, and it just it's just really funny because Bane can do anything, and he would make he would be the most intimidating person ever. He could be a checker at Safeway, and you would be terrified to have your your him scan your groceries across the the aisle there. Um, but uh, but that but that's uh, but but again a really fun role in a very fun film uh, that did a very good job of capping off that trilogy, and again I've said this multiple times to friends I'm like watch the movie Split James McAvoy gives a tremendous performance having to play uh, you know he's the character itself has multiple personalities but you only get to see like maybe a dozen or half of that something like that throughout the film but what he does with all of those including the the one that's the most menacing of all the beast as it's called i thought um i was just blown away when i first saw this film because i did not know that it was a part of you know the the unbreakable franchise and that was a it was part of a, a an original superhero trilogy and that caught me by a pleasant surprise um, just love to see and love seeing M. Night Shyamalan back in his comfort zone and just doing good work because when he's on, he's he's on. He's really, really on when he when he really nails down his writing and gets his characters done the right way. So and and Split was just an amazing performance. I thought to me, I thought it was like Oscar worthy. That's that's how impressed I was with James McAvoy, who would, who would then reprise the same role in the following film. And then Joker, Jack Nicholson, for obvious reasons. Um uh, this this Joker in 1989 was the first big screen iteration that we had seen uh, outside of the the 60s um, take on the Joker, which is obviously very awesome too in its own right. But I thought Jack Nicholson just the same way Michelle Pfeiffer stole the show in Batman Returns, Jack Nicholson stole the show in Batman. Although you know, although. Michael Keaton is still amazing and still I praise him and definitely have him as the top two Batman in my list, in my personal Batman list. But I do think that uh, to me, Jack Nicholson really kind of has some of the best scenes, the best lines. You know, Prince does the the score for this film. And I, th- I thought the, the, the music was great. And, and the way that Jack Nicholson would, would play the role, even though, you know, the, the background of, of Joker and how he becomes Joker was obviously, you know, very, very different from or slight, well, slightly fused, a fused version of two storylines put together to make a more intimate connection between Batman and Joker. But, um, and, and I thought it was a little bit short lived and how it plays out in that film, but the performance itself is obviously Oscar worthy. And, and it, I, did it get an Oscar nomination? I don't think it got one, but no, it was a pretty lo- pretty loaded year. Plus, you know, it wasn't until after dark Knight where studios finally realized that maybe we should start nominating some, you know, some, uh, superhero films. Um, because once Heath Ledger got nominated, it was like, well, maybe that film should have been nominated too. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, 89, it was, you know, I mean, driving Miss Daisy won up, won a bunch of awards, which is, you know, doesn't look good years later compared to all the other films that were in 1989, but it's right. like, you know, feel the dreams, uh, born on the 4th of July glory. Um, you know, yeah, eight, glory. 89, 89's, 89's a pretty loaded year. Yeah. My, my left foot, Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, the, 
it's it's a pretty stacked year. Yeah, and now we have now we have categories that that play a, a you know a, a bigger role in having these films honored. Although I think that a lot there's lots of instances where the performances could easily stack up next to you know a Forrest Gump or something like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, Jack Nicholson, you know, tremendous, and that's why he's at number four, which makes you think, who's three, two, and one? <laughs> we're not. Hey, we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> what What about you, Rudy? Uh, number seven, Eric Killmonger, Michael B. Jordan, easily one of the most memorable Marvel villains in a long time. I don't believe he's dead, even though they've said he's dead. He, no one's ever really <laughs> dead. I'm pretty sure he'll be back by Black Black Panther 2. And uh, again, another character who, based on his perspective, I thought was pretty justified. I was like, Venge, vengeance. Yeah, I mean, they Legit killed his vengeance. dad. <laughs> you know, he was, uh, you know, argue, one, arguably one of the rightful heirs to to that throne um you know he had a he had a claim to it and uh he is just so good so memorable uh and i i had to put him in there at leading off my second tier here jacker joker by jack nicholson the definitive joker until heath ledger's joker came along uh and the easily like you said raymond i mean batman is nothing without his joker right and this is this is now becoming the role in Hollywood where we've done right, and they've mostly done it right, outside of one Joker. We all know the one. Um, outside of the w- one Joker. And, there, and there, was, there was no Batman in that movie. Funny how that works. That's, that's no pro- Batman. Funny how that works. No Batman. Joker didn't work, but that Batman. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. But technically, he didn't really have a Batman in the last appearance, too. And I would say that's, that's true. That's, you know, but although but you do a ba- he was you do a baby there, Bruce Wayne, he you was baby there. Bruce- <laughs> he was there. The essence of Batman is there, and Batman's birth was there. <laughs> well, well, and Batman, you know, Batman does appear briefly in Suicide Squad in like a flashback, and I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't even, count. It doesn't count. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even see that movie. Uh, no, I skipped no, it's it. So stupid. That was a hard uh, skip. Yeah, DC. I'm actually, you know. Uh, you're you're either in comic books, you know. You're either a Marvel guy or a DC guy, and I'm like a diehard DC comic book guy. I am I am Superman, Batman, Green Lantern. Like those are my dudes, um, and I prefer DC over Marvel. But the Marvel movies, you can't even touch them. Not even close. Not even uh, not even close. But Joker, Jack Nicholson, uh, yeah, the 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 definitive villain of that first franchise, and an excellent excellent performance. He's also I prefer his uh, dis- disfigured face over anybody. I think it's still the best makeup for the Joker. Um, that crazy, weird smile thing they did with him. Yeah, I like the concept that the the surgery like makes puts this permanent smile on his face. <laughs> it's so good. The reconstructive it's so good. surgery. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. It's really, really good. Uh, that was fantastic. Then um, at number five, I have a tie. As I mentioned, you said a lot about Mystique. I put these two together. Um, They're so equal to me. I don't really rank another one above the other. So I just put I put both Mystiques as a tie. Mystique to me was never a character I really cared for in the comics. She was like, whatever, just a background character. And she'd gone back and forth from being part of Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and then and then over to the X-Men. She'd gone back and flip-flopped a couple different times in the comics. But man, they made her so cool. And even Blue, 
She's beautiful. <laughs> Even blue. Even she, blue. She's hot. Rebecca is hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> super hot. Yeah, really gorgeous. And uh, a great performance. And I, I, I couldn't rank one woman above the other, so I put them as tie. And then my boy, General Zod, Terrence Stamp, my favorite superhero of all time, is Superman. And General Zod is the dude. And Terrence Stamp, Christopher Reeves is the best Superman, in my opinion. It's the greatest performance ever done. They've yet to even even come close. I like Henry Cavill. I thought he did a good job. But there, there's a, you know, he is, I'm pretty sure Henry Cavill is also Shakespearean trained. But Christopher yeah. Reeves' performance, he brings such a gravitas to it. But at the same time, this humility, and he's a little sarcastic and kind of funny, but like really yeah. dry and really right. subversive. It is very innocent. Yeah, there's a, I mean, he is juggling things as Superman that very few people do. And Terrence Stamp, his performance as Zod, to me, is equally as heavy. He is coming in, throwing haymakers. He believes he is a god. He believes humans are ants. They're just tiny little ants for him to crush. And uh, I absolutely love him. And the, he's got the catchphrase, Neil before Zod. It's the best. It's the, that, catchphrase, that catchphrase, not only because of that movie, it, is, it existed in comics for 40 years. He says it in comics all the time ever since then. And I love that performance. And at number four, I have Catwoman. I have Catwoman beating out Jack Nicholson's Joker. Wow, I, the hell you say. I'll, say. I'll explain why. I'll explain why. The reason... The reason is because Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is the definitive Catwoman. And as I've already has mentioned, I don't think Jack is the definitive Joker. So I rank her higher. It's it's like it's a it's like a it's like a sports thing. It's like, well, you know, Catwoman Catwoman has 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 more titles than Jack Nicholson's Joker. That's not was like he is if if Heath Ledger doesn't exist, I probably would. There's no way that he would. Jack would rank higher. But because Michelle Pfeiffer is the definitive Catwoman, that's the reason I ranked her higher. Because she she has done something that nobody else has done, and that is be the ultimate version of this character. That's why I put her at number four in my list. So that's why Catwoman beats Jack or Michelle Pfeiffer beats Jack only because of how definitive that performance was. Um, but I would never argue with anyone. Say, well, I put Jack ahead of Michelle Pfeiffer. Of course, you know, that's 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 not an argument. But I just did, I did that because of what she's managed to achieve. All right, Candlestick Will, what about you, buddy? So um, we've talked a little bit about all of these already. Um, for number seven, I had Thanos. Um, you guys have mentioned a lot of the things. I mean, his plan is the most evil plan in the history of superhero movies. I mean, it's. It's a, I mean, just the sheer number of people he's trying to murder is the most ever, I would think, unless I'm, not, <laughs> you know, unless, unless I'm unless missing your something. your math is a little off. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, half the world is Half the universe. Epic. No, half the universe. Right. What? Well, yeah. So, um, you know, even aliens and Mars are, are getting screwed. Everybody. Like, what, what, like, what, what have visited yet? I would say, what do they do? You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and then when you start to hear that, like, like where it came from, it's like, this seems a little too personal to just shut out half the world, like or half the universe. It's like this. This seems like you just have a personal problem you need to deal with with yeah, the like, therapist. Like has but... Thanos even visited half those planets? <laughs> How is he making so, it? It seems arbitrary at that point. 
Um, but you know, he, I, I think your, your, you know, your description of how, you know, you basically need a super team to defeat him. It's like the sheer, the sheer power of, of what his character is and how you have to t- defeat him is so overwhelming that, you know, to literally have to bring in all of the Avengers that have ever been written about, you need multiple you know, to gods to defeat a super God. Exactly. So it's like, I think just the sheer you know, vastness of, of that project, um, made Thanos, uh, almost a must on, on these lists. Um, I, you know, Lex Luthor and general Zod, you know, and Superman and Superman two, um, one of the first great, uh, um, superhero, you know, um, franchises ever. Um, Terrence Stamp and Gene Hackman are two of the greatest actors to ever play superhero, you know, play in a superhero film. Um, I think Gene Hackman, especially, um, I'll, I'll mention something about Jack Nicholson in the same way in a second, but Gene Hackman taking the role of Lex Luthor immediately gives credit and, and value to the film that makes it worth more to an audience just by him being the character. If it was some random guy, then it's just then it's some random guy being Lex Luthor. If it's Gene Hackman, it's like, okay, I'm in because this is going to be automatically more interesting because he's just a good actor. And Terrence Stamp is absolutely, um, you know, able to stand there right, right with Gene Hackman as far as his acting chops. So, um, just to have those two studs uh, of of acting performances be able to bring it to a superhero film did I think it did a lot for the genre um, to get more uh, quality performances out of guys. And we mentioned it in the yeah, that's a two time Academy Award winner. Right. Yeah, and, and we meant we mentioned it in the in the previous uh, top eleven villains podcast. But when you get a great actor to buy in completely to a ridiculous character, it makes the movie so much better, and it makes it so much more interesting. Because if you have a bad actor playing a really interesting character, it's just never going to work, um, you know. And uh, so when you get these Academy Award winning you know, level actors, it really can bring a, a lot to a film. And then those two obviously did that. Similarly, Ian McKellum is Magneto. Um, you know, to me, the, some of the best parts of the X-Men franchise are those moments where Ian McKellen is going toe to toe with Patrick Stewart. And you, you don't know which side is more right. You, you assume you're going to be on Patrick Stewart's side. And then the more you listen to Ian McKellum, you're like, well, I don't know. You know, maybe you're, you may, you got something to say. And, and you know some of that's in the writing, but a lot of that is in Ian McKellen's performance. Um, and I I absolutely agree with you that that Fassbender is 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 pretty great um, too in, in the in the prequels. But Ian McKellen is the OG um, in 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 this uh, timeline and and absolutely brings it as Magneto in the film. So he he was a he needed to be a high spot for me. The one thing I'll say about Joker, um, since we all have Jack Nicholson on our list, is. I compare him to Robin Williams doing the genie in Aladdin that when Jack Nicholson did the Batman film, it changed the game forever. You know, Gene Hackman kind of started it because here's Gene Hackman. Who's you know, revered um, already for the conversation and some other films and clearly a stud actor and he's doing Superman. That's cool. But when Jack Nicholson did the Joker, it was like, now that was the thing. Like, other great A-list actors are like, get me a superhero film and I want to be the villain. 
I don't want to be the superhero. I want to be the villain. That's more interesting. That's the more fun part. That's the part, you know, Mike, we all on this podcast, based on what you guys just said, we all like Michael Keaton and we all like him in Batman and Batman Returns. But one of the reasons those two films are so good is because the villains in those two films just kick the crap out of him in some of those scenes because Michelle Pfeiffer is just a stud in that film and Danny DeVito's a stud in that film and Jack Nicholson is the ultimate alpha stud, you know, in that film. And as soon as he signed on, like there's no there is no Heath Ledger doing Dark Knight if Jack Nicholson didn't start the trend. Is is my kind of my feeling and so he turned it into a James James Bond caliber role. And so and and so to me when you're talking about a top 11 list and you get to that top 4 which is you know in essence the Mount Rushmore you it's almost like just out of sheer respect you have to have Jack Nicholson you know in that conversation and we all have him in our conversation for for what makes you know our top our top list um but for me that the main reason I have him at 4 versus anywhere lower is because to me you don't get those other performances you don't get those better performances down the you know afterwards you don't get the you don't get um a-list actors to even consider superhero films if if 1989 batman doesn't happen with jack nicholson if it happens with almost any other actor then the the genre doesn't have the same impact you know 20 20 30 years later that's a great point so what do you got uh ray any honorable mention uh, yes, I have a really long list. Um, <laughs> I've got Magneto, the Michael Fassbender version. I've got Lex Luthor, Gene Hackman. I've got Vulture, Michael Keaton. I've got a surprise one here, and I'll give a little a bit of an explanation here. Brandon Breyer, played by Jackson A. Dunn from 2019's shitty Brightburn film. The film itself is shitty, but the concept of the character is what I really loved and what really drew me to even give this film a try. Um, even though ultimately I was let down. An evil Superman. Um, nothing is more terrifying to me than an evil Superman. You have the most powerful superhero in the superhero universe, and he's evil? God, that's horrible. Who, who the, that? You know, it's, it's like reverse. It's, it's <laughs> like if you take Thanos out of the equation, it's like, oh, my God, the bad guy's Superman? What the hell are we going to do? Like, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's just move to another planet. <laughs> this, this one's his. Um, and you said the movie's called Brightburn? Yeah. It was a, a superhero horror film. Um, it's the writing that falls flat. Um, not, not so much uh, any the, the effects and all that stuff is cool. The concept I thought was amazing. Performances are good. Yeah, um, Elizabeth Banks is in that. Uh, the guy who played um, Roy in The Office, he's in that. He does a really good job. Uh, the boy, the boy does. Uh, uh, he's great. Um, it's it's the writing that's it's the problem there. Can I ask you a question, Raymond? Did you see Glass? Yeah. I saw Did you three. like Glass? Um, not as much as Split. I hear it's not very good. It's I my least. Mixed. It's mixed. It's it's my least favorite of the three. Again, the problem there is pacing. Um, it's it's too fast. I'm like this is not this is not um, not to get off on a little rant here, but this is not M Night Shyamalan's. Uh, this is not his his strength. His strength is story methodical that's that's his strength and he goes the opposite route in that film and i think it just doesn't doesn't do the film justice <clears throat> but uh, but according that, to him that, that's what he wanted to do so i'm like all right if that's what you want well to do. I, I think i mean i don't i don't know what i'm saying right now doesn't isn't necessarily based on any research i did but it, just knowing the way hollywood works it would seem like based on what you're saying that might have been better to have maybe two films 
you know, maybe kind of finish, kind of finish off that, you know, that story. You probably could have. But, I mean, if but, if he would have done it, his but, usual, yeah, it probably would have been. And so, but like, if that happens, that's how much more money, how much more time, and Hollywood probably was like, all right, well, you know, we you know we liked Unbreakable, Split did what, better than we thought it would. So if you want to do, you know, finish this trilogy off, you here's your money, and you've got this much time, and this, you know. It can be this many minutes and ready, set, go. And so, you know, trying to cram that much into that much time, you know, maybe it gets kind of condensed. And But then when you get interviewed on it, you're not going to say it's not the one I wanted to do. You're going to say it's great because at least you got to do it, right? So it could be that maybe he agrees with you that he wishes he could have, you know, you know, broken it up a little bit more or, or yeah. told the story differently. There's a couple but... different, there's a couple different things he could have done differently. I think, which have been, if even if he stuck with the same concept, he was going, he went for in glass. If you stretch that out in, in the way that he usually does his films, I think it, it's, it's an, it's a home run. But if he goes the other direction, which is a direction that was the impression uh, that the trailer gave me, then I think that could have that concept could have equally worked, but you still would have to do it the way you have to do it the M Night Shyamalan way, which is methodical character building out, fleshing out. Although this is the first time where we've had a sequel from him, a trilogy, mind you, right? Where, where everything's characters. already been fleshed out. So what's what yeah. fleshing out do you have left? Um, so, but but I mean, when you see it, Rudy, you'll you'll know what what could have been done and what couldn't, what shouldn't have been done. But I'm um, getting back to my list. Number five, I've got General Zod, Terrence Stamp, the 1978 Superman. I've got Ivan Vanko by Mickey Rourke, Iron Man 2, 2010. I've got Doc Ock by Alfred Molina, Spider-Man 2 in 2004. I've got Killmonger by Michael B. Jordan, the Black Panther in 2018. I've got Syndrome, played by one of my favorite skateboarders of all time, Jason Lee, the 2004 Incredibles. I've got, you'll love this one, Grandmaster by Jeff Goldblum, Thor Ragnarok, 2017. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great villain. He's a great villain. Um, I used to check him into Crunch all the time, and he actually is, his wife is, uh, his wife and I, she, we, she went to uh, the same school that I went to and actually was roommates with uh, some people I know. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah, weird. I've, I've got this one again. Um, Batman Returns, getting a lot of love. Max Shrek, played by Christopher Walken. Batman Returns, mm, 1992. That's a deep cut. Yeah, and then I've got uh, Lex Luthor. This is kind of off off the beaten path here, but I've got Lex Luthor, the Michael Rosenbaum iteration from Smallville, which is a TV series. I know we mostly do film here. But um, I had to give him some love just because I thought his Lex Luthor was also him. And um, Gene Hackman did a tremendous job to the role. The one that was given to the kid who played, I forget that kid's name, who, who did the Facebook movie. Jesse Eisenberg? Yes. I mean, I think he's a good actor. But him playing a Joker-esque, Riddler-esque Lex Luthor, just, ugh, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, I don't even want to watch this. <clears throat> <laughs> it didn't work at all because that's not Lex Luthor's personality. No. All right, Rudy, what about you? My honorable mentions list also is almost as long as my regular list, and uh, <laughs> it's a lot of familiar names on here. At number eight, Lex Luthor, Gene Hackman. Uh, excellent performance. Hilarious performance. Probably easily the funniest villain that they've ever had in, in, a, in a superhero films. I, I saw that, uh, Raymond, you've, 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 you've gone um, – a little bit further out, uh, straight up cheating, including television, 
but uh, <laughs> but uh, you uh, you also I noticed you you were you you picked uh, you picked superhero comic book style movies, and uh, that was my for my personal list, which I, I have no argument with it. I think that makes all perfect sense. My personal list, I, I you had to have actually have existed as a comic book character. That for me, that was that was one of my personal things when beating adding to this list because i i definitely thought about samuel jackson as mr glass and i was like do i want to put him in here and i almost put in my honorable mentions because that's kind of the lex luther of that universe although way more darker than lex luther (laughs) killer performance yeah that yeah i mean we we talked i mentioned thanos being evil but his his plan might might have been more evil just kill random just yeah. kill random people until he finds one person that survives. Like that just because he's so like when, because he's so that, that, that might be the most card that, in life of like there's that, gotta, that, 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 might, that might be the, the most way. evil. What I don't know how long that scene was, but was the most evil last five minutes of a superhero film ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, at number seven, Ulysses Claw and Andy Serkis, Black Panther. Oh, at number great. six, Scarecrow, Cillian Murphy. Oh, yes, very good. That's I forgot a, about that a, one. Badass performance, especially in the first one, one uh, when he calls him the Batman. That's probably one of my favorite lines. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm, that's the best. Uh, Norman Osborn, William Defoe, the Spider-Man franchise. At number four, my girl, Hella, Kate Blanchett from mm. Thor Ragnarok. That's one bad, bad goddess. She is mean. She's super scary. I love her. At number three, uh, someone that was very high on your lists, Bane, Tom Hardy from The Dark Knight Rises. At number two, these top three I, I think are very controversial because they all, they've all actually already, almost all of them have already been said. Number two, Penguin, Danny DeVito, Batman Returns. And number one, I think this is probably, because I wouldn't be surprised if he's in all of your top threes, Joker, Joaquin Phoenix. 2019 did not make my so you actually create so your your um honorable mention has a particular order it had always yeah mine's just what comes to mind Uh, i I could rearrange them the the only reason i i i didn't include walking i love the performance it's a great performance he's only joker for like 20 minutes he doesn't really do any cool supervillain stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't try to take over Gotham. I mean, he kind of, like, he starts an uprising, and, you know, he you know he riles people up and creates a riot. Indirectly. indirectly. Yeah, yeah, indirectly. What, in the, la- in the last 30 seconds? In the last 30 seconds. You know, like, it's a great performance. Yeah. Um, it's a great performance. It's a killer acting performance. But, like, a superhero villain... I will never. I love it. In fact, I've already decided when we turn this off, I'm actually going to go watch it. I have the screener, <laughs> so I'm going to go watch Joker again because I fucking love that movie. Such a badass movie. But as far as supervillains, doesn't really do anything but shoot Robert De Niro in the face. That's all he really does. Like and like and like kill some kids on a subway. Yeah, but you know how many villains have wanted to do that in movie history? So, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> and so I like him. I just think. I love the performance. I just think as far as supervillains go, doing supervillain things, he does virtually nothing. And so it's the only reason I didn't even put him in my... I was like, I like the acting performance that he plays as the guy, and he's before it. But I will say this, that's probably my second most favorite Joker look. I love the, the, the kind of teal blue triangles 
above and below the eyes. And I love the suit. It, there's not the only thing that's green is the shirt. And it, it for the first time, there's no like large purple green look to it. It's it's this yellow and like this kind of velvet. I don't know, man. I just thought color scheme wise, it really really worked. And uh, I will say that for me. But those are my honorable mentions. What about you, Kenneth Will? So I yeah you you propped up that uh, number one honorable mention big time, but I I have him on my honorable mention too. Um, yes. For pretty much the same reason, it's it's uh, it's an incredible performance. It was worthy of being nominated. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I, I have no problem with it winning uh, best actor. But when you're talking about best, you know, villains in superhero movies, it's not even really a superhero movie. It's just a prequel to what would eventually be a superhero movie in theory. Um, so the film itself is great. It's one of the better films of the films we're talking about. Um, but I don't really know if I would categorize him as a superhero villain in the first place. So being on my list in the first in on here is honorable mention is more just a shout out to the performance. Um, and, uh, and then I also had, you know, Magneto's, uh, Michael Fassbender and Mystique, um, as well. Um, and then, uh, I have Ross Ghoul from Batman Begins. Um, I thought Liam, Liam, anytime Liam Neeson is a, a bad guy, it's always awesome. Um, and then, uh, I had some fun ones. Um, so I love, one of my favorites uh, in in movies, I love Will Ferrell, but when he's actually been a bad guy, I guess technically a bad guy twice in uh, films, both animated. Uh, he was Lord Business in the Lego Movie. I thought he was <laughs> hilarious right. in that, and then he was Mega Mind in Mega Mind, and oh, he yeah. turns out to be a he turns out to be a good guy in that. But he's the whole point of him, his character, is that he's he's the evil, you know, he, he's the evil guy. Um, and then another film that's super ridiculous, but I love it cause I've, um, it's just a, it's a fun movie is, uh, the movie sky high Royal pain is the villain in that. And, and she, you know, why not, why not get as much, uh, you that's know, the superhero fem- school, like high school. Yeah. One? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the girl that, um, you know, was a super science science geek that, uh, wanted to become, wanted to become a villain and start a villain, you know, a villain school. Um, and then she got, she created this thing to be able to turn anyone into a baby and it got shot on her. So she became a baby and had to go back to school. And so she had to rehatch the plan to take down the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the superheroes. So it's, it, it was just a funny concept. There's the, there's great uh, character actors that do comedy and that are in that film. A lot of them from the kids in the hall, you know, um, group that, you know, made so so many good sketch films but it, it's just a fun, silly film, and uh, and so I wanted to shout that movie out. So, but the the real the real honorable mentions are Ros Ghoul from Batman Begins, Joker and Joker, and Mystique and Magneto from Michael Fassbender. All right, so Ray, what do, what do we got? Top three. Here we do. Let's go. <laughs> so number three, I've got Magneto by Ian McKellen, the um, the first X Men series. At number two, I've got. Walking Fiener's Joker from 2019. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) And number one, I've got Joker, Heath Ledger, The Dark Knight, 2008. What about you, Rudy? I knew when Raymond didn't have him in his honorable mentions, Joaquin Phoenix was going to be number two. I knew for sure. (laughs) I was like, I already know where he's going to be. At number three, uh, I have Loki, Tom Hiddleston from the Marvel franchise. Yeah, I'll explain why, too. At number two, my boy, 
Ian McClellan playing the best Magneto, the definitive Magneto. This is the performance. I had to put him at number two. That is my dude, my favorite Marvel villain. And we talked about it. You hinted, hinted, talked about it already. You know, Fastbender is is vi- more vicious, but Ian McClellan brings that gravitas, and you believe that he's trying to do the right thing. And oh man, he is. It, that's the one, man. I'm, I'm already describing it. I'm not even supposed to in this section. If if they if they fought, Ian McKellen would beat Fastbender's Magneto all day, all day, <laughs> all day. And he's like a hundred years old yeah. when he plays him. It's like a hundred years old, and the performance is better. And at number one, I mean, come on, who are we kidding? Joker, Heath Ledger, the definitive superhero villain. My number one, the greatest performance of all time. Probably, I think that movie's about thirty minutes too long. I think you could probably cut it, and it'd be better. But it's also, but having said that, I think the movie's a masterpiece. Yeah, I think so too. You you, you save two save Two Face for the next film, and mm-hmm. that, that's that's to me what you do there. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think I honestly think, uh, I mean, it might even be, it might arguably be maybe the greatest superhero villain performance outside of like maybe Robert Downey's Iron Man. Like I don't even know who, like he's he is like. He might be the number one best comic book performance. That would be a list best superhero performance, villain or hero. Yeah, I mean, he might win number one on that too for me because I don't, I don't know who beats him, but yeah, Joker, Heath Ledger, that is like, that's the one, man. All right, what about you, Candlestick Will? Where did Heath Ledger end up on your list? <laughs> <laughs> so Heath Ledger is number three. Whoa! Heath Ledger's number three, and because there's two that I like better, and again, this, these are super biased, super Objective, subjective lists. This is all about now, and I everything you guys just said about Heath Ledger is totally right. And if we did a superhero performance list, he's he's probably number one. Um, actually, he would be my number one, but number two, and we haven't talked about this movie, and so maybe you guys didn't consider it, but V from V for Vendetta. Oh, oh. I haven't seen that movie in a really long time. It's been a long time. But that movie is amazing and he is one of the most badass dudes i've ever seen and then number one and rudy you had him on your list eric killmonger from black panther wow i think it's the most i think it's the most justified bad guy of all time all time and i think by the end of the movie you are 100 percent on his side and i don't know if i've ever seen a movie in a super i've never seen, i don't think i've ever seen a superhero film where i've ended up on the side of the villain 100 percent by the end of the film and I was, and so that, so he's, he's my number one. He's my goat. He's my Michael Jordan. Yeah. So. You're like, well, Michael B. Jordan is your Michael Jordan. <laughs> Absolutely. Given the reasonings, I don't have an, I don't have a counter argument for Killmonger. And I, and I'm, <laughs> I am a hundred percent all in if he's in Black Panther two, but his death is one of the most epic deaths in the history of film, let alone superhero films. His, his rationale for not wanting to join Black Panther at the end and him just taking this, taking the knife and, and going down the same way as the slaves. Like that, that whole thing I was like, I'm, I'm all in, I'm hundred percent in You're you're my dude for life. Like I was just, I was hooked. So it's a killer performance. It man, really, really good. And, uh, 
Oh, he's coming back. Don't don't. We're getting more. We're getting more Killmonger. <laughs> I I need more Killmonger in my life. Well, uh, give give him to me in flashback. I don't care. I'll, I'll take more. I'll take more Michael B. Jordan as as Eric Killmonger in any back. in any form. Yeah. So Ray Ray, break it down for us. I know we already kind of all teased our 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 rationale, but go for it. So Ian McKellen, for a, a lot of the reasons that you've already mentioned, Rudy, I think that this is the definitive Magneto. I think that Fastbender is closer to like the cartoon comic version, uh, the 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 evil side of uh, the the more the more he leans more towards like hey kind of more traditional bad guy version of Magneto. Whereas Ian McKellen, he's like no 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 we're good friends, but meaning him and Professor X, but we have an ideological dis- or philosophical disagreement here, and as a result, I'm going to go my way, and you're going to go your way, and if you get in my way, I believe in it so so passionately that I'm willing to kill anyone who steps in my way, even if you are one of me, even if you're a mutant, even if he had, he's willing to kill Professor X because he believes the cause is, is not greater than the individual. Or, or the cause is greater than the individuals, and it doesn't even matter what that relationship is with with X, because it's it's the cause that means so much to him, brothers and sisters, as he, as he calls them. The, the 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 I wish they would have mentioned it in the film. They never did, but the or they they do in the Fastbender version, but in the Ian McKellen one, then he never says you know the mutant brotherhood or anything like that. He he does call the mutants brothers at, in in a couple of instances, but I uh, and to me my favorite. My favorite one of Ian McKellen is um, X-Men 2 when he's in the, the glass prison and Mystique sneaks the, uh, the metal, injects it into that guy, and he pulls it out. I was in the theater um, for that, that screening, and everyone just erupted when Magneto was just using Magneto powers. And I was like, what? He just used three metal marbles and just destroyed this whole prison, killed all the guards, and is just like sitting there with the the balls rolling around him. I just thought he was amazing. I, to me, like I, I think, like I always think, I always thought when I was a kid, I was like, his power is so cool. It, it's so simple. It's just like he's just magnetism. But when you think about it, metals in everything. It's in almost everything. So that power has so much reach, especially within like uh, our. our our buildings, um, our weapons, um, our clothing, um, everything. It's even in glass. Um, so he can manipulate anything. So it's just, and he can use the magnetic field to make him fly. I was like, Oh, even he gets to fly. So I thought that was, that was amazing. Um, as a kid. So Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix Joker. I saw this film three times in the theater. In fact, the first time I saw it, I booked my ticket. I saw it on a Saturday night. I booked my ticket the following Saturday as I was watching the credits of the film. That's how much I loved it. I knew I was going to love it because I thought the trailer looked pretty darn um, impressive. And I don't think he's the definitive Joker, but he is the most humanized Joker. And he's, he's, he's the, we see a side of Joker that we've never seen before. And I really enjoyed that story. And what really made me enjoy that story is the fact that even at the end, it ended up just being the it, it, even even though you were getting the impression of of this actual person that existed, which do, which it does, you know, based on that story. But even when we get to the identity of that character, the the this this crew, uh, the the writing did such a good job of staying true to what the essence of Joker is, and that he really doesn't have an identity. And I thought that was so awesome for them to kind of stay true to that element of 
Joker's person and Joaquin Phoenix did such a good job playing into that as he starts to spiral out of control and get to this tipping point that leads to his transformation. And even though we only get 20 minutes of it, I thought that 20 minutes was pretty awesome. The the wiping of the blood to uh, make his smile, the fact that his smile has a smirk on it, um, painted into it. I loved that part. The um, the the fact that he's he's you know he even physically looks like the Joker. The Joker's scrawny, lanky, tall. Um, he he he's he, the first scrawny, like real scrawny, aside from yeah Jared Leto. But I don't really count Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah, who counts him for anything? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. So uh, so uh, so yeah, I I thought that I thought that those um. I thought those things really kind of did it for me. And even though you only get a snippet of him, you know, that that's that really kind of sold it for me. To me, it's kind of like the same, like almost a counter argument, like like Jennifer Lawrence is more the good guy mystique than the bad guy mystique that Rebecca Romine plays. Even though there are times when she flips in that uh, prequel trilogy that she's in as Raven. Um, But she's she's more or less perceived as as the good the good guy version of mystique. Um, so that's why I didn't count her, just because majority of, of that of the Jennifer Lawrence mystique is a good guy. Um, so I had to give it, it had to give it to Rebecca. Where in this case, Walking Phoenix's Joker, you know, he's um, he's a good person uh, to that point, who's bitter and kind of depressed and dealing with a lot of mental issues, and that really just overtakes him. You know, compounded with the fact that his life is a lie. And that really drives him over the edge, and he kills. He kills the. He kills his therapist at the end of the film. You don't know how. You just know he does because you can see the blood on his footprints as he's running out the hallway, and kind of in this almost Looney Tunes esque fashion as he runs back and forth as the camera's panning back. Um, I thought that was terrific. To me, my favorite part is when he's on the police car and the crowd is cheering him on, and he realizes that he's getting all the attention that he always wanted at, to get as a performer. And only he's now he's a performer as a performer of chaos. He's getting that recognition. And then he goes ahead and embraces it and embraces it by doing the gesture of of taking the blood from his bleeding mouth and using it to fill in the paint of his smile on his face. I thought that was amazing. Just an amazing dark moment that really is all what Joker is all about even though it's the, the birth of Joker more than anything else. And then Heath Ledger for obvious reasons, this is the Joker. I This performance just, you want to, you're like in, in, in Dark Knight, and there's been instances when I've gone on YouTube, turned on Dark Knight just to watch the Heath Ledger scenes. I don't care about anything else. I'm just kind of scroll. Let me just get to the, to the those scenes and let me just watch those scenes. Just because, again this is similar to Catwoman this is similar to Jack Nicholson he just steals the show every single scene that he's involved in Um, even the scenes when he doesn't say anything like when he's in the nurse's outfit and he's walking away from the hospital as it explodes behind him the the mannerisms and and the uh, the the yeah, all, all of those physical attributes that he gives to the character that was all improv too. amazing performance um, additions that he brought to the role it's very unfortunate that the role ended up kind of consuming him because he got so involved because i was very much looking forward to him being involved in the next film who didn't want to see more of that in the next film and however they were planning on on portraying him in that one because the the joker can't out muscle or can't out tech batman but he outsmarts he outsmarts batman in the most unconventional way 
Whereas Lex Luthor does it with pure, you know, intelligence. He's playing chess with you. Joker plays chess, but it's like chaotic chess. It's like, I'm just going to do the unexpected because, because I don't give a fuck. And it's, there's no rhyme or reason behind his thinking. He's not trying to be strategic or anything. He's just not giving a fuck. And that's, again, the essence of Joker. He just doesn't give a shit. He's just crazy. He's absolutely sadistic. He's mad. He's crazy in his head. And he just does whatever he wants, whatever he wants. And he kind of flies by the seat of his pants. You know, in the comics and the, in the cartoon show, he's, he's more strategic and he's more thoughtful about everything he does because just, it just plays into that format a little bit better. But this Joker was just more like... Um, I'm just going to throw, I'm just going to create the most fucked up scenario because I get a personal kick out of it and I don't really care what these people do in it. They're, they're going to fail no matter what they do, because that's the way I, I planned it out. So either way, either way I win, you know, and, and so for his own personal amusement, that's, that's Joker. And, and, and so without a doubt, when we, when I made this list, he was the first person that I put at the top of the list. What about you, Rudy? So... All right, going to my list here, the uh, my definitive. Let's talk about Loki. So, uh, Loki is my favorite Marvel villain in the Marvel franchise. Uh, he's the god of mischief. I uh, was a pretty mischievous kid, pretty mischievous adult, and so I uh, I really like the god of mischief. I, he's really interesting because he's. He also, like, and like in the comics, Loki kind of flops back and forth. Like, Loki basically, he does whatever he needs to do to take care of Loki. So, if being good and working with the superheroes is an ad, a, a, an advantage for him, then he takes it. If it's not, then if it's the opposite, then he takes that. And he kind of goes with the win. But uh, there is a humanity that Tom Hiddleston brings to him. He's can make him very funny. He can make him very sinister. He's very insecure. And really, really has uh, image issues with uh, being next to Thor. And I love that. I love the humanity he brings to him. And I just love Loki. Like the Loki TV show that's coming out. I'm so hyped for this. Because I, I... Is he going to play Loki in the TV series? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He's, every, everyone everyone in the in the Marvel TV shows, it's all the same actors from the, from the movies. Uh, I love Tom Hiddleston's performance. I can watch Loki do anything. Like I never get tired of Loki being in any of these movies, and I love. Which, which Thor film did you like him most in? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, either Ragnarok or or Thor one. I mean, it's pretty close. They're pretty. He's pretty good in both. He's really good in in the first Avengers movie. You know, like I mean, he's dope. Like Loki is. He is so shady, <laughs> so mischievous. But I absolutely got a mischief, got a mischief, man. Like, I love him. I love Loki, the character. He's like one of my all time favorites. So it's a mixture of Tom Hiddleston's performance and also the amount of movies I've seen him in. He's just been in so many, so many different movies. And I just I love his performance. I never get tired of watching Tom Hiddleston play Loki. And I just love the character. I've always loved the character, even in the comics. In the comics, like this is just like a classic example of what this character does. And he's done things like this in there. And they're hinting that actually he's gonna do something like this in the new one. He entered the body of like I think think he entered the body of someone Thor loved, like like a woman he loved. He entered her body so Thor couldn't have her. 
Like, that's so twisted on so many different levels. Like, like Loki's just, he will do anything to mess with Thor. Like, he will just do the craziest shit. And I think he does it in the in the movies all the time. He flip-flops back and forth all the time. He's like, I'm on your side. Ah, never mind. I'm not anymore. I don't like you. You know, like, and I just love that. And I, there, but at the same time, there is, like I said, there's that thread of insecurity that Tom Hiddleston brings that I really appreciate from an acting performance is that at the end of the day, he's not Thor. He kind of wishes he was Thor. And and uh, he's never going to be the good guy, and it just bugs the hell out of him. And that's what I love the the deep deep insecurity. He's kind of similar to in that way, like Job from Arrested Development. Like they have that in common. And I just love the humanity he brings because I've never quite seen that in the comics. And Tom Hiddleston really brings this real deep thread of insecurity and jealousy of about Thor, and I love that. And uh, I already I already got pretty hyped though. My boy Ian McClellan, the goat. The GOAT of Magneto is the greatest Marvel villain ever, and Ian McClellan's performance is the greatest Magneto they've ever done. He is truly the Malcolm X of the X-Men franchise. He brings the gravitas that only Ian McClellan can bring. Only a Shakespearean uh, actor like Ian McClellan can level that he can bring. He believes he's the good guy, and you kind of already talked about it. Those chess scenes between him and Professor X and when he senses the metal. I mean, I could watch Ian McKellen dress as Magneto reading from a phone book and it'd probably be the greatest superhero <laughs> performance of all time. Like I would I would be enthralled. His performance, he is the goat to me. Like that's like he is right up there with Heath Ledger's Joker. Um because he it's my favorite Marvel villain and it's my favorite uh, Marvel villain performance. I was like, man, I mean, you, I, I love Fassbender. We already talked about him. I def- he's very, you know, Magneto, his performance is very high on my list, but I, you just don't get better than Ian McCon. Like, that is the dude. He, he, you believe him and you believe that he, what he's, he's doing. I mean, I, he kind of convinces me in X-Men too. I'm kind of like, I don't really know, man. Considering how poorly he's been, they've been treated, I kind of understand why he's so pissed. And number one. And Professor, Professor X gets a lot of stuff wrong. In, in, in that a hey, human humans are fucked up humans are horrible like we <laughs> we are destroying the world like this, this x-men is not that far away from what we really are <laughs> yeah it's true it's really true uh and then make of course the in the writing this is you know he didn't really have a lot of control of this but making him um jewish and uh and his family in the holocaust man it just brought so much depth to that character and really was the start of them doing that kind of humanizing and finding new ways into the characters it really started with with um x-men one in that intro right yeah you 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 planted the seed of of discrimination arbitrary discrimination so when he becomes a mutant he's like i'm still getting discriminated i know exactly what this feels like and i know what that led to back then it almost got me and my race eradicated and that same thing is going to happen to us if we don't stop the humans from from doing this phenomenal performance i love that they brought him back in uh x-men first class part two i was so happy to see ian mcclellan back because he's uh, the man i like i said he could be reading a phone book in that costume and i'd be fine uh, number one, Joker, Heath Ledger, you know, like we like we all have said, arguably the greatest superhero, supervillain performance ever. I'm not sure if, like I said, Robert Downey's Iron Man is probably the only guy, and I think probably Heath Ledger beats him with one movie, and, and even though Iron Man's been in like 20 movies. That's insane. It's insane. It is insane. <laughs> he spent like a whole month 
locked in a motel building this character. He the tongue things he does with his tongues just from an actor from an actor to actor, the technical level that Heath Ledger took to to create this character, the laugh, the idea that he he said he the the tongue the whipping of the tongue and the way he moves his mouth the idea behind it was he he said is that he wanted it he was inspired by ventriloquism and he wanted the voice to almost as if the personality is shape shifting and in the comics. Uh, what they talk about is that uh, he has what's called like a super id in the comics. Like it, it, and so he doesn't have really a personality. And so that's why that's how they kind of justify all the decades of different kinds of jokers. The clown prince of crime from the 80s or like the prankster from the Silver Age 50s, 60s comics. That's similar to Cesar Romero's Joker in the television series. And then like the the, the gangster version, the villainous version. And. The idea is that his personality is ever shape-shifting. Shape, shape he has no real origin, right? Like, I really appreciate that in the Joker movie. It's by the end of the movie, you're not really sure what's real. It all could have been in his head. He, all could be, he could have been sitting in that insane asylum the whole time. And that is pure Joker, that there is no real Joker. We, there is no Joker. There is nothing going on but whatever he wants it to be that day. And... Heath Ledger really embodies that. The costuming is amazing. I was actually never a big fan of the makeup. I didn't really like it when they first showed him on uh, that first image of him looking down and you had the black and, and the, the... Right. I the, wasn't... The sloppy. Yeah, I didn't sloppy, really yeah. like it. And then... But then when I saw the movie, it made so much sense with that character uh, making a pencil disappear and all the violent craziness he does. I'm still like when when Joaquin Phoenix's Joker came out, I was like, and I went back and saw The Dark Knight. I was like, man, I'm really even less of a fan of this makeup now that Joaquin Phoenix's makeup is out. But having said that, that's probably my only gripe with it. It's it works for Ledger. Only Ledger's performance makes can you get away with that makeup and that costume? And he's also the only other disfigured Joker, which I appreciate because Joker is disfigured. Like his face is disfigured into that position. And outside of uh, Jack and Ledger, the, the other Jokers have never, have even Leto's, none of them have, have ever uh, approached that. And I appreciated that he at least was disfigured. But it is, yeah, it's like the all-time, you know, it's the first Oscar winning superhero performance ever. And, uh, it, you know, there is kind of like what you were saying, Candlestick Will, there is no Joaquin Phoenix without Heath Ledger. You know, like Heath Ledger paves, paved the way and really brought this level of gravitas to where now I think forever, you know, for the rest of time, we're going to have guys that, you know, all guys who want to make another Oscar run, playing the Joker is now added to the list of like playing historical figures, playing a character with like a disability. Now playing Joker is like one of the, is now, now the new thing in there, right? Like if you want to go for an Oscar run, that's part of the gallery of, of characters you might, you might consider taking on is doing another Joker movie. And it really starts with this performance um you know he paves the way for that road jack paves the way for big time actors playing the villains and then heath paves the way for hey you can actually make this an oscar winning level performance and i thought it was well deserved and uh it's you know he if ian mcclellan is the goat for marvel heath ledger's the goat for dc and, and probably just the goat for all the superhero movies i think i think he might be the one yeah definitely anyways council well your list, buddy. Yeah, so my top three uh, is the only one that starts with a Joker uh, from Dark Knight. And, <laughs> you know, the, the, the rationale I, I have besides just being super biased is that 
you know, these these three that I picked um, completely wiped the floor with everybody else in the movie, um, in their films. Uh, and Heath Ledger, for all the reasons you guys gave, um, absolutely deserves to be top three for that reason. Um, the only reason I have two guys higher than him is because in those other two in those other two films, I was a hundred percent on board with what they were is what they were doing and why they were doing it. Whereas obviously, Joker from Dark Knight is evil, and so um, so that idea that the that the other two on, the, on my list actually made me follow them versus the protagonists um, absolutely to me crushes all other expectations. Like you said, you like to ha- you like a character who thinks they're a good guy in these two cases, I think they're a good guy. And so that's the only reason that I have two people ahead of, of Heath Ledger. Cause it is, it is the best um, acting performance in superhero movie history. It's, it's the greatest year of superhero movies because you have dark Knight and Iron Man both come out in 2008. So if it wasn't for Robert Downey Jr. And Heath Ledger, we don't have 25 Marvel films or whatever it is. We don't have, all of the all of the films that we got, um, and same with and same with Heath Ledger's performance. That that year changed the game forever for the what was just a comic book genre into a film franchise genre. Um, and every once in a while, you'd have a Spider Man or a Superman or a or a Batman. Um, now it was every every uh, studio in Hollywood wanted to get their hands on whatever they could, um, and why we even have. Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man and all these other ones that shouldn't have worked, but they worked because they got A-list actors to, to, you know, to show up, um, for all of them. And, uh, and then number two, I have V for V for Vendetta. Um, V and Eric Killmonger to me are the two where they were the most just in their evil. They were the most just in what, in their rationale for what they were doing and why. And the whole, the whole plan by both of them to me was exactly what they should have been doing and exactly what they did do. And nobody stopped them from what they wanted to do. Um, and for V to have a plan work out so perfectly, it's similar to um, John Doe and seven where, you know, he dies at the end because it's what he wanted to do. And it's, it was his plan to die at, you know all along. And, he wanted to get revenge on the people he wanted to get revenge on. And as soon as that happened, he was ready to go, but he was going to get his revenge, you know, get his vengeance first. And, um, and once you hear all the backstory behind everything, you're like, yeah, I want you to get that vengeance. I want you to, you know, to do what you're doing. And it's pretty amazing when you have a film where the, where the villain gets you on board with exactly what they're doing and why. Um, and then Eric Killmonger, you know, to me was the only one that did it better. Um, I thought Ryan Coogler was, um, just created a masterpiece with Black Panther, uh, for the social impact that it's going to have forever for the next steps in getting people seen on film that deserve to be on film. Um, all the other things that are going to come with that film. But at the, at the end of it, you actually had a real, what, what essentially is a real life, situation of you know just what it's like to be an african-american in this world and how you've always had things taken from you and you're never ever able to just have have something for yourself so when you have this super hero you know fictional story where you've got these people living in wakanda who have all of these things it's like we need to do use that to take over the world 
and it's and you know uh, obviously in Wakanda they don't believe in that and Eric Killmonger is like look they've been taking from us forever and when they were taking from us where were you and you're like yeah where were you seriously like I'm with it I'm with you like where were you? you you know it's like oh you didn't want to be caught you didn't want to be seen like no help people <laughs> And when you, and when yeah. you don't help people, you become as villainous as anyone else, and and it's it really does I think um, wake people up to just how evil our world is. You know, not not a, not just America, like our world forever. It's always been about power. It's always been about taking over other places, taking over other other lands. Um, there's so many people out there that care more about power than they do about empathy or sympathy or anything else that actually should matter. And that control that, that wanting for control and wanting for power, it to me gets reflected as, as perfectly as any superhero film can at showing what humanity should be and showing what anger should be from that lack of humanity. And that when you have that lack of humanity forever, that there's, you know, Eric Killmonger and others like him have every right to be not only pissed, but want, but willing to do something, even if it's extreme, to make it happen. And then the fact that he didn't succeed, but then didn't let them take his, you know, his his message in vain and and make it less than what it was. To me, his story arc is about as interesting as I've ever seen in a super in a superhero film. So, um, you know. We, we, we can we can talk about it more if we want, but to me it's just it's the definitive it's the definitive villain in 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 the superhero genre to, to date because it's the most just superhero villain I've ever seen. Um, he everything he did made sense. Everything he did is things he should have done, and he and and he en- ends up teaching um, T'Challa what to do based on what he was doing, and he found a way to compromise and bring in both both those philosophies into their next steps and to me it's like learning from the villain is about as crazy a plot twist as you can have in a superhero film so there everything about that black panther i love um i have it i have it ranked super high on my list for just films in general um because of what what it's going to mean for the next 50 years of film and beyond um but Michael B. Jordan, I think, was absolutely flawless in that performance, and the fact that he completely, I completely bought into him, and V and V for Vendetta are the only reasons that those two are higher for me than than Heath Ledger, because he, he. Have you read the graphic novel V for Vendetta? I have not. I've just seen the film. You should. You should. If you like the movie, you should read the the graphic novel. It is phenomenal and the book as always is 10 times better than the movie and uh it'll really if you you like v that much you should read the graphic novel because it'll blow you away like if you like that performance read the novel because it's it the graphic novel is is insane it's ease i like it i think it i actually like it a little more than watchmen which is alan also alan moore um he wrote both of them uh, Watchmen is is that's everyone's number one when it comes to Alan Moore. I might like V a little bit more. It it's he made it earlier. It's an earlier time in his career. It's uh, man. I mean, he's like literally quoting Shakespeare. Like, I mean, like the level the the literature that he like, he speaks a lot in quotes in that in that book. And uh, it, you should I strongly recommend reading V for Vendetta. You will. I'm telling you, Candlestick, you will love it. You will love it. Well, and it's and to me, it's just it's one of the most interesting plots. 
I've ever seen put the film anyway. Like, forget superhero. Just it's it's one of the best ven- vengeance stories I've ever seen. Um, and they they give him so you know so much depth for someone we don't we never actually get to see. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what can happen. It's, you know, we'll get to other, other villains in, in other podcasts, but it's like, there's something to be said when you don't get to see the person's face, the entire film, when you don't, when you, when you don't get to see the shark for 90% of jaws, when you don't get to see the truck driver in duel, like then what you don't see actually makes it more interesting. And, and one of the, one of the reasons I think V for Vendetta is so interesting is because there's such a mystery about him for the whole entire film. And you're learning about him as you go, and you're learning little tiny pieces as you go, and that storytelling to me is is great. So yeah, I'm all in on on more of that. Well, guys, good stuff. Really, really interesting lists. Uh, I I had I was wondering where Joaquin Phoenix's Joker was going to end up on everyone's list. Uh, I, I knew he'd be in somebody's top three. Raymond, I like that he ended up there, and I like that you and I had him kind of stick on the honorable mentions. Uh, both just both justified places. He could easily he could have been at somebody's number one. I wouldn't have been surprised, but I think uh, Heath Ledger uh, getting there. And actually, it's funny you say that kind of so well because I in my original version of this list, Eric Killmonger was my number two. I I, I but once I once I laid everyone out, I realized that I enjoyed other performances first. But when I first was formulating this list, the first two that came to my mind was Heath Ledger and uh, Michael B. Jordan. Those were literally the first two villains. I was like, these are the first two came, and then Ian McClellan was probably the third one that popped in my head. But originally, I thought I was going to go Ledger and Jordan as one and two, um, and it just ended up not, it ended up kind of turning out differently once I actually laid everyone out. Yeah, I, I moved I moved Doc Ock. Doc Ock, Fastbender's Magneto, and Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor out of, they were in my original list, and then I pulled them out later mm-hmm. on. Well, I, I, yeah. I, what I found interesting was that when we first talked about this and we first started and we, you know, our, you know, for kind of these, what you guys are saying, you know, our, my first instinct was in the action movie um, list. I was like, well, it's, it's Hans Gruber and 10 other guys. And then for this one, it was like, well, it's Heath Ledger and 10 other guys. And then in just kind of happenstance, both in both those cases, they ended up being my number three. And, uh, and I think it's, you know, it's what, it's what makes this interesting is that when you start to rank you know, who's really the best. It's like sometimes the one that sticks out the most actually wasn't the best, you know, once you really think about it, but you know, it's, it, to me, that just made it more interesting. The fact that like, you know, Hans Gruber and Heath and Heath Ledger as Joker are two of the most incredible villains we've ever seen, but you can make a case that there's others that are up there too. And, and to me, that's what this is all about is that, even if we all had the same number one, which I absolutely could have had Hans Gruber number one, I absolutely could have had Heath Ledger number one, um, and and we could have done that. But there's other ones that are also great, and I think sometimes that's what happens: is that you know, for every Michael Jordan fan, there's a Scottie Pippen fan who's partly a Scottie Pippen fan just because that's you know, everyone else is a Jordan fan, you know. Like sometimes that's how we we end up justifying our favorites. Sometimes it's like, well, everyone's picking Hans Gruber, so let me see if there's somebody else, or or everyone's picking you know the Joker, so let's see if there's somebody else. Um, and not to say that's what happened here, but I just uh, that's what I love about when we really start to break down our favorites and why. Yeah, definitely. There, you know, you you end up going different places that you didn't expect. I did not. I did not think that. Uh, 
my final list would turn like I didn't think Catwoman was going to rank so high. But then when I when I really looked at it, I was like, man, this is the definitive version. And she's sexy. She's evil. She's messed up. But she's also really charming. And, and you kind of want her and Batman to get together. And, and you know, and uh, and probably the I would if I was Batman. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm telling you. Easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Easy yeah. Seriously. And uh, I didn't think she would get so high up, but it just made a lot of sense. And, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of funny how these end up. Alfred Molina also is actually a, someone I used to see quite often in uh, in uh, in Crunch, which is where I used to work. I'll tell you guys a funny story. I, I was uh, I used to talk to I used to talk to Jeff Goldblum all the time. And one time I said, Jeff, I got to ask you guys. I got to ask you a question because I know you'd mentioned Jeff earlier. Ray. I said, who what 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 do you like better? Do you like the fly or Jurassic Park? Which performance ranks highest for you? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's, you know, Rudy, that's a good question. Um, You know, they're, uh, you know, I like them both because they're both really different. Yeah, they're different, and and I'm not really sure, yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I, I kind of have them as tie. They're kind of they're kind of right next to each other for me. You know, they're right there. And I was like, all right, that's cool, cool. That's all right, right on. I, I just had to ask. I was like, what, what do you like? I like them both. I, I'm not really sure which performance I prefer, but I had to ask. Because well, yeah, thanks, yeah, yeah. And then just walked away. That's they're very different. Brundle, I mean, Brundlefly is horror um, by the end of it, and uh, and Jurassic Park is you know he's just kind of a really super smart, <laughs> smart sarcastic guy. <laughs> he's all. I mean, they're both really smart. Both characters are really smart. That's yeah. That's my one Jeff Goldblum. Uh, that's my favorite Jeff Goldblum story. I used to talk to him all the time. He's a really, really nice guy. Weird. Very eccentric, but uh, but a cool dude. Decent impression too. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's funny to. He literally he says yeah like every thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. It says it all. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. All right, so we will be back next week. Next week, Candlestick will let the people know what list we're doing next week in our top villains tournament so next week is the top 11 sci-fi fantasy films oh man oh i can't wait yes my favorite baby so when so so when you when you've been watching or you've been paying attention these last two episodes and you're like where is darth vader and where is all you know it's like he's coming they're coming they're coming this is gonna be a hard this is gonna be a really hard one to do the top three because so many of these films it's not going to be any fun if it's easy. Yes. That's yes. what makes it great. That, so we'll have a whole bunch of honorable mentions. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. The, the Xenomorph, the Predator, they're all coming. They're all coming in this next list. I cannot wait. Sci-fi is probably, outside of superhero movies, is probably my favorite genre of film. I love sci-fi. I love sci-fi horror. I love sci-fi action. I, I'm just a sci-fi guy. I'm obsessed. The second you throw it into the future or in outer space, I'm hooked. I'm your dude. So I'm very excited for these villains. And I don't think these guys get enough enough props, these sci-fi uh, villains here. So this ought to be a lot of fun. So we will be back. That will probably actually be the next episode. Uh, I will be on the road I'll be in San Francisco for my birthday seeing some friends and family. So uh, I will not be – so I don't think we will be releasing another Goldcast this week, but we will record uh, the f- next Monday our next top 11 sci-fi 
uh, sci-fi fantasy villains. So this this will probably be unless something unless they announce the NBA is coming back or the MLB is officially back, uh, and we'll do an emergency episode with me calling in. Uh, this will be already be the last the, the only episode for this week, but we will be back. Uh, with our next top 11 sci-fi fantasy villains of all time. So this ought to be, it'll be a really good list. Uh, and so concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the Voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. And our esteemed co-host. Candle, stick, will. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. This is, this is the Gold Cast.